I'm not going to be very long tonight. I, I want to sh- just share something with you um, tonight that I, I can't tell you I have the full grasp of it yet, or the full understanding. It's something that the Lord has just been kind of dealing with me uh, in my spirit. And um, something that for me personally, and uh, just the stage and series of things that are going on with my life and just seeking the Lord for wisdom and help. He shared some things or put some things in my spirit. And I um, actually shared a little bit with some of the guys we had. I'm okay. We had some guys at a, at a care group leaders meeting on last Friday night. And I just kind of shared it with them a little bit. We all understand, most of us understand, if you know anything about the Word of God and you study anything about the Word of God, you begin to understand that uh, that God is a God of principle. We hear that a lot. We've, we've heard that discussed on many occasions. And it's, um, it, it's, it's very important for us to understand that. Not simply so that we can become theologians and better understand the all the theological meanings of the Bible so we can spit out useless information. But if I can understand how God operates and I understand what makes God tick and I can understand the foundations by which He works in, I can better understand in my own life what God is doing in me and through me. And that's why the Bible is such an amazing book because even though there are certain things in the Bible that may not be relevant to us today based on the period of time in which they were written, the culture, the socioeconomic content that was there and the technology that we have today. So there's some things that, you know, they may not quite relate. They talk in the Old Testament, even the forms of, of, of transportation Certain things in the Bible may not totally relate to us, but the principles by which God is governed by don't change. The the way God operated and the things that operate within, within the parameters in which He operates stay the same. That's why it's so important for us to study the Word of God. Because if I study the Word of God, I begin to understand who God is. There's a, there's a principle, and it's not where we're going here tonight, but there's a principle in, in biblical study called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention is whatever God establishes in the, in the beginning, He is then going to carry that principle out throughout Scripture. And so there's things that God establishes in Genesis, in the very, very beginning of all of this, that by establishing it, Being God, he is now governed to work within the parameters of that principle. And so when we begin to understand that, we begin to understand that God is a God of principle. And then we fast forward a little bit and we look at ourselves today. It's amazing to me to think about the fact that a God of all power, of all creative power, all understanding, all knowledge, that a God would limit himself in working and be, be limited by one of the most powerful entities on all of earth. I believe in a big God and a little devil. 
I don't believe in this equality of God and Satan having this wrestling match trying to fight over who's going to... It's a big God and little devil. I said this in a class I've taught downstairs. It's one of the coolest scriptures uh, that, that in, in all the Bible is where the Bible says that in, in the end of all this, God's going to say, hey, shh, come over here. I've got to show you something. Well, what do you want to show me? Come here. He's going to come over here and it's going to be this curtain. He's going to open the curtain. He's going to say, look at that. We're going to go, what's that? And he's going to say, that's him. And we're going to say what? Him who? That's him. And we're going to look back and go, that's him? That was the one that kept me in bondage. That was the one that kept me in fear. That's the one that kept my, 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 my home in chaos. That's the one that kept my family from being saved. That, if I'd have known that, I wouldn't have, but none of this stuff would have bothered me. So we believe in a big God and a little devil. But there's one power on earth that is stronger than any of that. You know what that is? Our flesh. Think about that. And we're not going down this road tonight. I'm just laying a foundation. Think about that. The powerful, almighty God has subject, has, 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 has put himself under the limitations of working within the confines of our flesh. Because this idea that we have a free will, and, and you know what? On paper, it is a free will. But it doesn't exactly equate that way in reality. I know the clause in the contract says you have a free will, but let's be honest, is there really a choice? Because let's be honest, did Jonah have a free will? Yeah, he had a free will. He chose to ex ex exercise his free will. And getting a free will, he got free willy. <laughs> so we have this ability and this right to have a free will. But in reality... We really don't have a choice. I, I, I think the bishops used this before, and I, I've used it in the, in the context. I can take you up to the top of this building right now, off to the off the, 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 the peak of this building, and we can stand on the edge, and I can say, listen, I'm going to give you a choice. Jump off or stand here. I'm technically giving you a choice. It's not really a choice. So understand that God has limited himself to a degree, and I say limited within context. Don't go get some kind of theological dissertation off that. But God has limited himself to the, to the, to the frailty of my flesh. And God has chosen to work his plan through the frailties of flesh. But the problem is, is that there's a little bit of a disconnect because in, in, in the Bible, there are three, uh, 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 three kind of definitions of time. There is eternal and there is, there is temporal and there is infinite. We know God is infinite. David writes, he's everlasting to everlasting. Meaning to be infinite, meaning you don't have a beginning and you don't have an end. He said, I am. Where'd you come from? I am. So I've, I, I'm, I'm, I don't have a beginning. I don't have an end. I'm infinite. Now, when the infinite 
wanted to relate to the temporal, and temporal means it has a beginning and has an ending. Most of us had a start date, and if the Bible, if the rapture doesn't come, we're going to have an end date, right? So we're temporal. So in order for the infinite to relate to the temporal, he had to build bridge a gap called the eternal. The eternal becoming the man Christ Jesus. So the eternal has a beginning but has no end, right? The problem, though, is, is that God lives in the realm of the infinite, but we deal with the realm of the, the, of the temporal. And we are conditioned to look at life in a linear progression. We look at life in a literal. We, we can only deal with this moment. I can only live with this moment. And now that I've lived in this moment, I can't go back and do, when I started this sentence. It's gone. It's in the past. Because I can only deal with now. I can see where I've come from, and I can have maybe an idea where I'm going, but I only can deal in the moment. But the problem is that God being infinite, he is not bound by time. We've had people argue. I've, I've, there's, there's been some, there, there, we've had discussions with some people uh, over the last uh, 35 years, let's put it that way, that have had discussions with some of us that, that had this idea that God only dwells in the moment. He has foreknowledge of the future. And, uh, but the problem is, if you subjugate God to being a part of time, then you make time superior to God. And if God is superior to everything, He's superior to time. So if God only is in the moment and he has foreknowledge and he has the ability to see in the past, then he is no longer God. Time is God. And think about it. We are all in this room. We are all prisoners of time. Everything we do is built within the parameters of time. We know when you got to get up. We know when you got to be at work. We know we're going to get off work. We know when this happens. We know that time. We know the day. Everything. Time tells us when to go to sleep. Time tells us when to wake up. Time tells us when to go to work. Time tells us when to, when, when, when to, when to get off work, when to eat, when to do all this stuff. And so we live our lives based on this idea that time is an ever-present part of our lives. But God doesn't even look at time. Because the Bible says a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. So in God's world, time is irrelevant. But the problem is, our world, time is everything. And so because of that, we become so impatient and frustrated in so many aspects of our Christian life because we are being subjugated by time. So we think God needs to speed up the process. And think about it in the grand scheme of things. He took 18 years to prepare for three and a half years of ministry. That doesn't really work well in the time continuum that we are in because most of us want to take three years of preparation for 18 years of ministry. He did 18 years of preparation for three years of ministry. Why? Because we want time to speed up. Because all of us. I mean, it's like it's like when you when you're when you're small, 
and you're growing up, you want time to speed up. And then somewhere along the line, you want it to slow down, but it gets faster. And so everything is built upon the midlife crisis because you begin to realize time is slipping away. You're past the halfway point of life. What have I accomplished? Because everything in life, but God doesn't work that way. So he has the infinite God and we're the temporal and we're trying to relate. He's trying to relate to us. And the frustration comes down to a lot of us is where we are right now. We don't see beyond where we are. But when God looks at us, I know this is simple and a lot of you know it. I'm trying to help somebody tonight. But when God looks at you, he doesn't see where you are. He calls those things that are not as though they what? Oh, they were. So when he says, you're the son of God, and I'm not trying to contradict what the pastor preached a couple weeks ago. He preached it with the context. I'm going to use it in another context. He says, You are the sons of God. i got to admit right now, there's a lot of days I don't really act like a good son of God. But he already sees me for what I'm going to be. I'm going to become a full manifested son of God. When I cross over and I leave this flesh, filthy flesh behind, and I take on immortality, and I'm finally redeemed fully, and I don't have to deal with the the carnal mind and the flesh and the urges and the lust that we all deal with, and finally I'm able to be set free. Then I'll truly become. But he already sees all of that taking place. So when he calls us and talks to us, he's not talking to us based on where we are. He's talking based on the fullness of his plan. This is why, you see, in studying the Bible, this is why it's so important. I, I was just talking, we have a new convert on Sunday morning, and I was trying to talk to him a little bit about, uh, you know, you got to be careful. Let me just say this a little word of wisdom. You got to be careful how you treat people's faith. Just because their faith doesn't line up with what we believe the Bible says doesn't give you the right to come through with a hammer and smash it to pieces. Because if you do that, you're going to take what what they've done and you're going to set them back a long way and you have to rebuild it. Let the Lord give you wisdom. Why the Bible says, he that wineth souls is what? Wise. Let the Lord give you wisdom to take where they are and let them go into further truth. What did the Bible say? The Spirit of God will do what? It will lead us into truth. Doesn't mean you got to go start all this stuff. So anyways, he he comes from a, um, a, a certain background, and so he has some questions and things, and, and he, he's got the Holy Ghost, been baptized in Jesus' name, but he still has some ideas that, don't quite line up particularly with what I believe the Word of God shares. And so I was trying to talk to him a little bit, and I said, listen, this is what you have to understand when you, when you, when you study the Word of God. You can't just jump in the middle. It's not that you can't just start reading anywhere in the Bible, but you can't just eliminate the old and just start with the new because, you know, the old says it's old and the new says it's new. So let's start there. Because the problem is if I don't go from the beginning and look at through, through all of it and see to the end, I'm not going to get the full picture. And I've used this before and uh, forgive me for allowing to, to do this again. But, but if, if Skip, come stand here for a minute. If Skip is the fullness of God, you look good. 
You're the fullness of God, and I'm here. For me to get a clear picture on truly who God is, He gave me 66 lenses. 39 lenses of the old, 27 lenses in the new. He gave me 66 different lenses that when put together, give me a clear picture of truly who he is. The problem is, if I jump somewhere in the middle, because that's a good way to start, and I see 27 lenses, I'm going to assume there are things about God that are true, but I have missed 39 lenses before. You know, like, you, you sit down, I might bring you back up for a second, but you ever see someone that, that, that a child, all of a sudden that, that you know, that they start sitting really close to the television or start reading the book real close and you know there's something wrong with their eyes and you go get them checked and they put on glasses for the first time. And it's like, man, this is amazing. Well, I'll never forget the story. Maybe some of you have had this experience before. The story the bishop told when he had cataract surgery and they did that craziness of flushing the fluid out of your eyes and all that stuff and the floaters and everything got taken out and he said he didn't realize how bad his eyes had gotten until he got clarity of vision and all of a sudden all the colors that were being muted by all the junk in his eyes suddenly became vibrant and so studying the word of God is a little like that from the standpoint of if I don't see the fullness from the way God laid it out, and, and there's, there's, it's dangerous. And I, I'm going to use this as a disclaimer because there, there, there are some of us in this room that really, and I don't mean this to be negative, we really like to study the breadth and width of theology, but it can be a dangerous minefield to navigate. Because when you start getting out in the fields of theology, there are a lot of stuff out there that if you don't have the maturity to handle it, it will get your head spinning. I remember talking to, uh, I'll pick on him for a minute. Brother Chomley and I have had discussion before, and he says, he used the term, and I like it, used it many, many times. You've got to be willing to eat the chicken and spit out the bones. You can't just digest it, everything fully just because it sounds good. I mean, God bless the Internet. There's a lot of good things. But just because some bozo paid $9.99 to GoDaddy to create a website and put a bunch of scriptures in bowl doesn't mean it's truth. For some reason, we become mesmerized because it's on a screen. It equals truth. And there's a lot of things. And so you get into this discussion when you start getting off in these realms of about the, 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 the origins of Scripture, the canon of Scripture, meaning why were certain passages included and why was this not included. And you've got all these different Gospels that have popped up, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Thomas, and all this stuff. And people really use that to kind of pick at the authenticity of the Word of God. And when I first started getting into things and studying it on my own and really starting to expand, and I started coming across some of this stuff, I, I went through a mini crisis of faith. Because I'm thinking, man, what if, all, what if all this stuff out there is, you know, has been you know, tainted, not, not true? And I had to stop for a minute and think about this. We're all over the place tonight, but that's okay. I had to stop and think about this. If God is so fragile that He couldn't ordain 
his word to be passed down to me like he wanted it. What are we doing here to begin with? If there was some conspiracy to keep the gospel of Thomas out of the Bible, and it's some kind of church conspiracy, then that means God's up there going, I don't know what to do. If they had to put that in there, come on, folks. We're just wasting our time here tonight. But I said all that to say there are things about God that are understood when you layer them one upon another. And in our own life, even though God comes from the infinite, we live in the temporal. And the benefit about that is this, is that we have experience to draw upon to understand going further. Because there are things in my life, what the Bible says, they overcame by the what? The blood of the Lamb and the what? Word of their testimony. When you think about that, that John in Revelation would equate the blood with testimony. When we talk about the blood of Jesus, we could speak of ours about the redemptive power of the blood, the cleansing power of the blood, the life-changing power of the blood, the, the healing power of the blood, the delivering power of the blood, the amazing aspects of all the blood of Jesus that was shed for us and how it is able to reach out into eternity. And you may hear that on Sunday wherever you go to church because we're talking about the blood and the Calvary and all that. And Think about how amazing that is. But then John would equate to you and I the same aspect in overcoming things in our lives, the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Because I'm not infinite, because I had a beginning and I have a presumed end, whether it's in the rapture or whether it's through death, and I look at that, God's saying this, I gave you something so powerful that it will overcome things as powerful. Because how many of you, we talked about, I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus. I, I, loose the, I plead the blood of Jesus over my house. I plead the blood of Jesus. And we, we believe it when we say it because it's the truth, right? But when it comes to the experiences of what God has done in our lives, we're almost bashful about it or ashamed. Well, you know, that's not a big deal or that big, or no, that couldn't have been that big of a deal. Or what about that? When to think about it, when I can reach back into the experience of where God has brought me from, That aspect of being able to reach back into the recesses of my mind and be able to pull forward the things that God has done for me to this point. John says there's something about that that will help you overcome where you are right now. Because some of us in this room right now are overwhelmed. We've got stuff like we've never faced before. And yes, it's difficult. But when I stop and think about if he brought me out once, why would he change? And when you stop for a moment and you think, and we can take the survey all day, every day, and get the same answer. Is there anybody in this room that would really honestly say and can prove that God has ever failed you? 
Are there things about our lives we don't understand? Oh, yes. Are there questions that we have? Yes. Are there answers we seek? Yes. Will he ever tell us everything? No. But when you think about the nature of God and the principle by which God has established he would work through in his word. And you equate that to the fact that God sees everything from the beginning to the end because he's infinite. But we dwell in a temporal place. Is that he's able to reach down through all of that to where you and I are and is able to help you and I navigate from where we are now to where we need to be. And to know that there are some days that simply not going backwards is a victory. I know we preach a lot. We tell you, you got to keep on going. You got to keep on going. There are days just not going backwards is a great victory. And there are some days, because I went backward five feet instead of ten feet, it was a victory. But we constantly are checking ourselves based on the fact where we think we should be. And this is where I want to get to, and I'm almost dying. I'm going to let you go, Earl. We're going to beat the record tonight. Because I'm sure next week the bishop may be back and he'll try to beat his own record. So you all will be walking down that room, smiling at all of them, and they through the fishbowl because they always come up and stare at you through that door, like, "Man, they're still going. We've been done for ten minutes." Now, lost my train of thought. Where was I going? Lord, I shouldn't talk about the bishop when he's not here. He just reaches through the through time and grabs a hold of me. Where was I? Seriously, I, I lost. What were we talking about? Leaving early, that's where we were leaving. Maybe that was the Lord. I've overstayed my welcome. I'm not, no, I'm really not joking. I've never had this. Oh, I know. Okay, thank you, thank you. The problem, the frustration that most of us get into is, is the fact that 90% of us in this room I'll, I'll be frank, I would, I would I wish to say 100%, but we won't go that far. 90% of this room feel something in our spirit, something, a call, the tug of God in our lives. Most of us do. We feel some kind of aspect that we want to be a part of something bigger than us. We feel a call in the ministry. When I say ministry, every time you hear that word, it always equates to this deal. As not, no, 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 ministry, that's such a, a fractional part of ministry. We're all called to be in the ministry. That's not a cop-out, folks. That's not something that the, that the preachers came up with to make the, the, the church feel better. That's, that's book. And the point is, is that for 90% of us in this room, we feel that tug in our hearts. We want to become what God wants us to be. If I ask all of you privately tonight, do you want to be what God wants you to be? I would have no, that 99% of you with a sincere heart would say, yes, I want to be what God wants me to be. 
But the problem is, and I can only speak for me tonight, and I, that's why I wanted to share this with you because it's something that the Lord has been dealing with me over. The problem with that is, is because I feel such a strong urge in my heart to become what He wants to be. Sometimes my schedule doesn't match up with His schedule. My timeline doesn't match up with His timeline. Because the way He looks at things is totally different than the way I look at things. How he, it's no big deal for him to take a carpenter and make him into a savior in just one moment. It doesn't, it's no big deal to him. For me, that's a giant leap. For God, that's no big deal. And for most of us in here today that are dealing with frustration and ministry and where we are in ministry, it's not because of God. It's because of in our own self and our own, our own, a lot of times I have to say sincere desire. We are desiring God to do things in our lives, but sometimes we get frustrated because things don't seem to match up. And unfortunately, God doesn't always give us the answer, and partly because we wouldn't understand it even if He gave it to us. Not because we're, we're not smart enough, but if I, if I want to sit down with my two-year-old son and try to explain to him calculus... Is he smart? Absolutely he's smart. But he's smart for where he is. He doesn't understand the aspects of all that mathematical stuff because there are certain processes he needs to go through until he gets there. I say all that to say this. If we can become, and I'm preaching just, or it's, what are, it's supposed to be teaching, right? I shouldn't say preaching. We're teaching. I'm speaking to myself tonight because this is what the Lord's been trying to to get me. The Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's not always easy. It doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always, always compute in our minds. It doesn't always totally match up to what we think it should be. But the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And there is this church, and I'm, I'm, I'm done. This church is one of the places that that aspect of Scripture is so important because there's so many different opportunities and so many places to be involved. The tendency is for us to want to go farther and faster than God and we get ourselves in trouble. And so, let's just use, I'm, I'm going to use something simple. If it offends somebody, if it offends But right now, you're in, you're in Sunday school. You're ministering to kids. That's important, very important. But you feel a call of God greater than that. So your tendency is, well, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not supposed to be in a Sunday school. I'm supposed to be this. And you bypass that. Next thing you know, you're down the road and you've missed a great brick in the foundation of ministry. And if we could become content on where we are and what God is doing, guess what would be awesome about that? Is if He's the great orchestrator of all this, right? And if He puts us somewhere and I do what I'm called to do and focus on that and not worry about what you're doing and not worry about what they're doing, but only do what I'm doing... 
if I can do that and leave the rest up to him, guess what? He's really smart. And he can figure out all of this stuff and how it relates. But the problem is, if I'm doing what, I, what I'm, if I'm in a position here, but all I'm focusing on is trying to do what Brother Skip's doing, I'm not going to be effective in what I'm doing, and I'm eventually going to step out of what God has, and I'm going to get out of the blessing of ministry. And guess what's going to happen? Eventually down the road is I'm going to get bigger, bitter, frustrated, and blame the church and blame God and quit. So I say tonight, whatever aspect, if you're brand new here and you haven't even gone, started going down that road of ministry, wherever you are in your walk with God, be content. Be content of where you are. Don't be satisfied, but be content to know, God, I'm going to go through, be where you want me to be, but I want to become all that you want me to be. If you want me to be here today and work through this and the door opens and I look back in my life and I see the twists and turns of everything, but I look back and see all the pieces, man, it's like, you know what? I didn't understand it. I didn't see that. But it's amazing how God orchestrated all of that. Lord, I'm asking you tonight, God, you know every single person in this room. You know us so well that you word said you've even numbered the hairs on our head because you desire to know us that intimately. And God, you know each and every one of us where we are, but more importantly, you know what you called us to be. And God, you see us in that, what, we've, what you've called us to be. God, I'm praying right now that you would give each one of us the grace and the mercy and the patience to let you complete the work that you've started in our lives. And let it be upon your table, your timetable, your, your, your knowledge, your understanding. And give us the grace to submit to that. By your help and by your grace, I pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We often talk about submission. And we believe in submission. We preach submission. And we talk about being submitted to the plan of God. But you can't submit until there's something to submit to. If everything always, and it always goes according to plan, there's no reason to submit. If God always does what you expect Him to do, there's no reason you submit to His plan. It's when... You don't understand, God, why you've chosen to do things this way is when you find out how truly submitted you are to the working of God. To feel like one door has opened only for that to be shut, brother and sister Williams, but to know, you know what? We're submitted. Oh, understand it? No, but submitted. That's when you truly find. And for us to pray that prayer, Lord, I submit to your plan. Be sure to mark down. He's going to test that real quick. Because you're going to be going this way, and he's going to say, well, just take a left turn there to Albuquerque and see what happens. You're going to be like, why are you going to submit or not? Praise God. God bless you. Make sure when you go by, wave at all the people in the glasses. Let them know, we're done. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. Come wherever you're going, Easter, go there. Bring somebody. See God do awesome things. Amen.